Good morning, church. Are you feeling good? Beck, that was beautiful worship. Where is she? That was great worship this morning. Did you, did you appreciate the worship this morning? Yeah? It was wonderful. Well, uh, Joel's not lying. Pam's given me the nod to go all the way through to when the picnic would finish. So that's great. We've got communion if anyone gets hungry. Uh, Anyway, well, it's good to uh, it's good to be here. First preach of the year is always uh, exciting. There's always something new that feels uh, new about it. And uh, this morning, I'm going to preach a message called "That Guy." Uh, in honour of Rihanna says that every sentence. I don't want to be that guy. But this time we're swapping it and we want to be that guy. Okay, so if you have your Bibles this morning, we're uh, kind of doing almost like an old-fashioned just Bible study. This isn't a topical sermon of, got a topic and I want to preach on it. We're just going to through, go through eight, uh, eight verses of Scripture this morning. From Luke 17, 11 till 19. And if you have your Bibles, open it up. And uh, the reason that it's important to do that, uh, and not just, it's fine to look from the screen, uh, but it, it takes you from being just a spectator to a participator when, when the word's being given. And so that's why we encourage you to take notes and open your Bible. And so, uh, so if you have your Bibles, whatever form that is this morning, open it up. We're going to read from Luke 17. And this story may be familiar to some of you, some of you it might be the first time that you've ever heard it, but we're going to read the story of the ten lepers. It says, now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, go and show yourselves to the priest. As they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said, rise and go, your faith has made you well. When we read stories like these, I I quickly kind of think, oh, I wonder what I would have done. And the obvious thought is you think, oh, well, I'd be that guy who went back to Jesus. I'd be, do you not, am I the only one who thinks that that's the only response that you could possibly give to being healed from leprosy. But there's two responses here in the story and we're going to look at uh, both of them this morning. And uh, so let's just dive straight in. When we first meet these lepers, they are outside the village. This is because this is what the law required. They are they had to stay outside of a village. If, if the city was walled, if it had walls, they were not allowed in. But if the city was a, an unwalled city or a village, they were allowed to remain, but they had to be outside of the village. And so it doesn't specify here whether it was a walled city or not, but they were outside and where Jesus met them. And the reason being for that is because leprosy was one of the most disgusting diseases of this day. 
It, it, the Bible talks about it quite a number of times, over 40 times to be exact. Uh, but it was just considered the most horrible disease. It was a skin disease that started with the specks on their eyes. White specks would get on their eyelids and on their palms and it would begin to spread from there. It was a flesh-eating disease and it would crust away the skin. It would get dry and all the hair would turn white uh, there would there, all, all all there would be sores and swellings, and as the as the skin would disintegrate and be eaten away, it would slowly make its way to the bones, and 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 slowly but surely, fingers and toes and parts of the face would fall off. You can you can imagine it was a ghastly sight to even see ten of them all together just wandering around. But it was a horrible, horrible disease, and. If the physical implications of this disease were not enough, there was the social implications where they had to, they were completely banished from any part of society. They needed to stay outside of the city gates and they could no longer be with their family in their homes. It didn't matter what uh, job description they had, that was no longer you from now on. You were a leper. That was your identity. And, and so they were completely outcast there outer garment that they wore needed to be torn at all times. You couldn't even wear nice clothes. It had to be torn at all times to, to uh, indicate that you were mourning, as if to be mourning your virtual death. It was like dead men walking. And to add to that in their social implications, anytime someone would come near, or if you had to move anywhere, You had to either take your hand or your mantle, your jacket, and put it over your mouth and call out, unclean, unclean, every time, loud enough that people could hear it. And it was hard to get their voices loud because even their vocal cords were being eaten away. If it wasn't bad enough, physical and social implications, there was the spiritual implication that leprosy in this day and age was considered to be a punishment from God. That some horrible sin you have committed that was worse than anyone else in the town, you're being punished through leprosy. In McClear's uh, handbook of the Old Testament, he describes it like this. Leprosy was the outward and visible sign of the innermost spiritual corruption, a meat emblem in its small beginnings, But its gradual spread, its internal disfigurement, its dissolution, little by little of whole body, of that which corrupts, degrades and defiles man's inner nature and renders him unmeet to enter the presence of a pure and holy God. If you were to get the the, uh, diagnosis of leprosy, you could consider your life over. It was just everything you were before was completely gone. And then uh, to add on to that, Jesus chooses that guy, the Samaritan. So he's got nothing going for him, plus he's a Samaritan. And what, what does that mean? That means that he was, they were usually, uh, they were despised by the Jews. And Jesus being a Jew should not have been associated with this Samaritan. The reason they were despised by them because way back in uh, when the northern kingdom of Israel was taken captive by the Assyrians and there were Samaritans there and 
They were the ones who were happy to take on pagan gods and the real God. They were okay to mix religions. And, and for Jews, this was a huge no-go. That was the, the worst thing that you could do. And so there was this ongoing battle between them. He, this guy was the lowest of the low, if you can picture this guy. And Jesus chooses him to teach you and me a lesson today. So we have our group of 10 lepers. We've got a great picture now of what they actually looked like. And they see Jesus coming and they must have heard about him because they call out master. It wasn't just any traveling gypsy coming along. They called out master. And the reason that they would call out usually is because they had to beg outside of the city just to get any food or get water or money that they could still live. And they call out master, have mercy on us. And it says Jesus looked at them. In the message translation, it says that Jesus took a good look at them. What an awful sight to behold, I'm sure it was. And everybody could see their condition. The disciples would have seen their condition and be like, oh, them. Everyone could see their condition, but Jesus took a good look at them. And he responds with this. He says, go and show yourselves to the priest. Now to you and I, that thinks, okay, that's a simple thing to do. But that would have sounded absolutely absurd to these guys. That was, uh, why would you do that? The only reason that those lepers should be going to see the priest is because they were clean and they needed the priest to actually check them over and, and, and give them the seal of approval that they could enter society again. And they look at them and they go, to the priest now, like this, this is how, you're telling us to go to the priest and, and everyone around would have thought, Jesus, you know that they're going to get sent back. They can't even, they can't go in there. But the beautiful thing about Jesus is that he calls us according to what he sees us as, not what we and the world see us as. And he just, he looks, it says he took a good look. He was not mistaken of their condition, but he was assured of their calling. And he sent them to the priests despite of their disease. And so off they go. I wonder what the conversation would have been like. This was risky. They weren't allowed in there. They were being absolute rebels at this stage. The law required them. They, they, were, not, they were breaking the law. I'm sure there would have been taunts of, you're not allowed in here. And I'm sure there would have been mothers gathering their children away from them as they walk in. And, and I, I'm sure it was a slow walk because their bodies were just breaking away. And as they began their walk, they would have had to pick up that same identity that they've had for who knows how long. And they'd begin, unclean, unclean. As they walk in, 10 of them, unclean, unclean. What a sight to behold. 10 guys who are, who are considered dead men walking, shouting, unclean, unclean, as they make this rebel move towards the priest. And I wonder at what point 
Did their voice begin to waver as they shouted this thing that was their identity for so long? I wonder when their voices started to go, am I, am I really? Unclean, it looks like. And it would have been a loud shout at first, unclean as the law required them, but slowly, but surely I wonder when they changed to, uh, I don't think I'm unclean anymore. I don't, I don't think this is me anymore. And I wonder when the new title and new identity became about when they seemed brand new. I'm brand new. I wonder what excitement would have been in their soul. But only one turns around. And you know what? Even though only one guy makes it right to the end to teach us a lesson, all 10 can teach us a lesson today. And you know what it is? That transformation is found on the road to obedience. They didn't wait to see the change before they answered the call. So often I wonder what I would have done in that situation if I looked like them and Jesus said, go to the priest. I'd be like, you change me and then I'll go. You transform me to be what what I need to be and then I'll follow your call. You make my family what it needs to be, what I've dreamed it to be, and then I'll start pursuing you with all that I have. You give me this and then I'll do that. But these guys found that transformation is found on the road to obedience and church that has not changed. You do not have to see the change you've been waiting for to answer the call God's been calling you. Before we look at that guy, I just want to take a quick look at the nine others. All 10 experienced healing. All 10 were clean. Praise Jesus. One returned, nine did not. Where did they go? Did some continue on to the priest because that's what law required? Did some just think, oh my gosh, for the first time in in such a long time, I might be able to hold my children. I'm going to go hold my children. I'm going to go see my spouse. I can go into that home that I built for us. Where, Where did they go? Did they walk back into their old employment and go, I am back. I'm ready to go. Look at me. What an exciting time that would have been. Where did the nine go? It doesn't say it. It leaves it up to our imagination. But whatever reason, however innocent that reason may be, that reason kept them from Jesus. It kept them from going back. They were satisfied. They were satisfied with the healing without the healer. Once their need was satisfied, there was no need for Jesus. Once they were blessed, they didn't need the one who blesses. Once they were delivered, they didn't need the deliverer. They just went on with their life. C.S. Lewis, the atheist turned great Christian writer, says, talks about this very thing in the book, His Weight of Glory. It says this, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us 
like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what it is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea, we are far too easily pleased. These nine lepers were far too easily pleased. I wonder what's your reason keeping you from Jesus this morning? However innocent it may be, because you might be making mud pies when there's the offer of a holiday by the sea. But that one guy, that guy, oh, that guy, the Samaritan has a completely different response. The writer Bruce Main writes about this. He describes the Samaritan's response like this. Fortunately, thank the Lord, the Samaritan recognized a force at work that was greater than the administrative function of a priest. A Samaritan leper had experienced something that the custodians of the religious system could never offer. He had encountered something new and alive, a power and a presence that transcended anything the old system could provide. Consequently, there was only one response for the Samaritan. He chose gratitude. One thing differed between the nine and the one. It was one thing that allowed him to be at Jesus's feet and converse with him and look in his face and see the lines on his face and hear his voice and be in his presence. It was one thing. His heart of worship, gratitude brought him back to the feet of Jesus. Gratitude, thankfulness brought him to that place where Jesus could speak again, not just deliver, but continue to speak into him, speak faith and life into him. It was gratitude. How's your heart of praise this morning? Is your heart in a posture of praise towards Jesus? That's why it says in Psalm 104, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. We enter Jesus' presence with thanksgiving. That's why we worship. That's why we praise when we first come in. It's not just to fill up time. It's so as a congregation, we can all lift our voice in praise and worship because the Bible teaches we enter his presence that way. We don't want his word without his presence. We don't just want knowledge without his power. That's why we praise. That's why we worship. That's why even when we've had a terrible week, we say, you are Lord, you are good, you are faithful, you've delivered, you healed. Even when I can't see the change, you are still faithful. It's interesting to note what Jesus says to this man as he's at his feet. And I can't even imagine what it would be like at his feet at that time. You had, you had baby brand new skin and you had just been given your life all over again. It was like being reborn. And here he is at Jesus' feet. And Jesus says this, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you well. Did you notice that Jesus' words, your faith has made you well. 
Ten were healed. One was made well. Ten were healed. No doubt, they were clean. Jesus knew that that was going to happen. But one was made well. A quote from the book, Spotting the Sacred, reads this about this very situation. Scholars make an important distinction between the ideas of being healed and being cured. Healing is a physical phenomenon, but just because a person is healed does not mean that he is whole and well. A doctor may heal my arm from a bad break, but cannot provide me with a sense of peace and purpose. There is much more to wellness. Wasn't it the Samaritan's willingness to acknowledge God as the healer that separated him from those other nine lepers? The Samaritan chose gratitude rather than social acceptance. In doing so, he transcended the logical, which was going to the priest, the emotional, the excitement of the moment, and he saw the bigger picture of God's presence in the world. That made him different. An example of what it means to move in the direction of becoming a whole person. A living God, not a religious system, had become the priority of his life. And his faith expressed through gratitude to God makes him well, not just healed. All 10 men could say Jesus healed them. One could say they were made well. And I wonder today if there's people who could say, Jesus, save me. But because of their lack of faith expressed in gratitude, they have not been made well. Could this be the reason we see people get saved and never transformed? Because they never turn around and actively live a life that says thank you to Jesus? Gratitude brings us to a place where we can behold him. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says, so all of us who have had the veil removed, that means if you've met Jesus, that veil between you and him has been removed. And we can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. If you have a thankful heart, if you cultivate praise and worship in your life, you know what the Bible tells you? You should become more like Jesus. Not because there's a set of rules, but because your life is becoming transformed to more, look more like Jesus. And there's a difference between being saved and being made whole. There's more than salvation today, church. We are meant to be pulled on and journeyed on to become more like Jesus every day. How beautiful that the heart of worship can put us in that place. That we can become like Jesus. You and I, who could so easily identify spiritually with those lepers, we can become like Jesus. This morning we're going to have communion together. And as we do that, I just want to talk just for a moment about what, what was going to happen when Jesus sent them to the priests. Jesus knew that if a leper was to be announced clean again, there were religious and legal procedures that needed to take place. It wasn't just you walk in and go, how do I look, doc? Good to go. 
There was Leviticus 14. If you want to read through it, it lays out the implications for the rich and the poor leper and what needed to be done. Part of this process would then needed to be examined by the priest. Every part of them was to be checked for any spot of disease. They were to bring an offering of two birds, sandalwood, scarlet thread. They had to shave all of their hair. Seven days they needed to live outside of their tent and then on the eighth day to shave all their hair again. And then another offering was bought of two lambs and oil to the priest. There was a compensation offering. There was a wave offering. There was an absolution offering. This is rigmarole. There are hoops to jump through here. And when the lamb was slain, the blood of the lamb was placed on the hands and on the feet and on the earlobes. And prayers and offerings were offered. And in Leviticus 14, 19 to 20, it just says, and finally the priest will sacrifice the absolution offering. And make atonement for the one to be cleansed from his uncleanliness. Slaughter the whole burnt offering and offer it with the grain offering on the altar. He has made atonement. He is clean. I don't know whether those other nine went back to the priest to go through that. I'm sure some of them did. Because it was the only way they knew. They jumped through the hoops of the law that required them to jump, but no man, but only one man knew that Jesus trumped the religious system. And today as we come round communion, I want you to know that before Jesus, before Jesus' salvation, before, if, if you've never experienced that, I pray that you get the opportunity this morning to experience that But before we knew Jesus, you and I also were unclean, unclean. That was us, unclean, unclean. Watch out for me, I'm diseased. You don't know how bad I am. You don't know the sins I've got. You don't know the way I think where I've been. Unclean, unclean, don't come near me. And the law required lepers to actually be at least six feet away from anyone. That was if the wind wasn't blowing. If the wind was blowing, if there was a real wind up, it was 150 feet from anyone. But the closest that they could get to anyone and the closest they could have got today, that that day was six feet. They could only get six feet close to Jesus. There was a gap. And there was a gap for you and I to get to Jesus as well. And I love the treasures of the Bible, how numbers have meaning and words have meaning. And and you know what six stands for? The work of man. You and I were always going to be separated by what we could do. We couldn't get close enough to God. The work of man could actually, it's always kept us at, at, at an arm's length, at six feet. The work of that we could do was all we could do for Jesus. And so he said, all right, I've got to close that gap. I've got to close that gap. I, can, I don't see you as unclean. I've got, I've got to be that offering. 
I'll be that offering once and for all for those unclean lepers. I'll be that offering. And you know what he did when he went to the cross? He made that absolution offering once and for all. And him being our high priest, when he said, it is finished, he says, no longer unclean, brand new, brand new, brand new. And he closed that gap once and for all. I wonder if you'll turn and thank him this morning. Turn and thank him this morning. Because we can trust that before we see change, he's faithful. We can trust that whatever the world is offering us that we turn our back on just to bow at his feet, he's still faithful. We can trust that he sees us as he sees us, not as we see us, and that we are more than what we call ourselves. We're brand new, and he's faithful. And this morning, if I can invite the band, we're going to have communion together and remember that offering. Remember the blood that Jesus shed to close that gap for you and I once and for all. Would you stand? Before I pray, I'll let you know that can we do this as our God? We have communion down the front on either side. There's gluten-free bread on the small plate if you need. But this morning, I would just take this opportunity to go ask yourself, just as we enter a brand new year, go, am I saved or am I being made whole? Am I becoming more like Jesus or have I just been plodding along year after year after year? Does my heart say thank you? Am I waiting to see the change before I'll respond to that thing that he's been going, come on, come on, I've got it for you. Come on and you're standing with this standoff between you and God and you go, show up and I will. And he's saying, just walk the walk of obedience and I'll show you on the way. This morning as we take communion, I want you to remember how he closed that gap. He's so faithful. And if you need to, as this song says, I'll fall on my knees. Use this altar, fall on your knees. Stand, worship, bow, sit. Do whatever you can to get to that place of going, thank you. So Father, we come to, the t- come to your feet this morning. I want to say thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for closing the gap and making this unclean sinner totally brand new. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we worship, please come and take the cup and the bread and take it in your own time. We'll just begin to worship and Joel will come and close the meeting in a minute. But just take these moments to bring yourself back to that heart of worship.